Hey, Wizzes. Welcome to episode 198 of the Food BizWiz podcast. If you're listening to this episode hot off the Food BizWiz podcast press, then you're likely listening on or around June 1st of 2023. Well, I have some great news for you. June 1st to June 30th is the entry period for the Good Food Awards. But Gabby, what are the Good Food Awards, you ask? Well, I'm so glad you asked. We thought it would be the perfect chance to re-air past episode 96 on the Good Food Awards. In it, Ali chats with Sarah Weiner, who is the executive director of the Good Food Foundation, on just what the Good Food Awards are and why and how you should apply. The Good Food Foundation works to celebrate delicious, sustainable, values-driven products and makers in our industry. And if you couldn't tell yet, we are such fans of them here at Food Business. In this episode, you'll hear a little bit more about the 18 categories that they taste for, product requirements and the criteria that they focus on, how your brand can submit your products for consideration, and what the benefits of winning an award can be for your brand. If you are familiar already with the Good Food Awards, you'll want to note these two changes for this year. The entry fee is now $105, with a $15 option to receive feedback from the judges. And entrants can now enter up to four products per category. There are tons of important links that we have in our full show notes, including the link to the Good Food Awards application and a discount code for our first-time entrance application fee. All right, Wizzes, enough from me for now. Let's start so they can get a move on the application. I'm Allie Ball, former grocery buyer and retail store manager turned wholesale consultant. In my role on the retail floor, I saw delicious, values-driven brands fail on our shelves simply because they didn't understand the behind the scenes of wholesale. I created the Food Biz Whiz podcast to give you hard-to-access insight from my career in the food industry and the tools and strategies to help you succeed on retail shelves. If you're a committed food founder who's looking to create and grow a packaged products business that positively impacts our food system, puts wealth back into your own hands, and employs members of your local community, you have found the right podcast. Let's do this. The wholesale success system might be just the thing that saves your sanity and your business this year. You can learn the system later this month in my free training. Want to join? Find the registration link in our show notes. If you feel like it's pure luck if a wholesale buyer opens your sales emails or responds to your pitches or places a first order, it's time for a new way. If you do make contact with that buyer, but then you don't hear back and you don't know how or when or why or heck even what to say to get them to finally slot you on the shelf, it's time for a new way. And if you do land on that shelf, but then you leave it up to the store or your broker or your distributor who, let's be real, has likely promised you the world, if you leave it up to them to get your product into shoppers' baskets, it's time for a new way. Stop leaving your sales success in the hands of others. You are responsible for your success, and you can do it with a simple system in place. It's time to stop playing whack-a-mole in your business. I'm outlining exactly what to do instead and how to put a repeatable, effective sales system in place this season. Are you ready for easy? Click on through to the show notes and save your spot in our wholesale success system workshop. See you there. Hi, Sarah. Welcome to the Good Food Board, the, the Good Food Awards. <laughs> Welcome to the Food Biz Wiz podcast. I'm so excited to have you. I'm so excited to be here with you. Oh my gosh. I I can't believe it's taken us like two years to have someone from the Good Food Awards come on this show. I mean, it's it's been a long time coming, Sarah. And and thank you for saying yes to jumping on here. Yay. <laughs> Yay. And you know, I'm gonna kick off. I'm gonna welcome you and by saying congratulations on the 11th season of the Good Food Awards. I feel like last year with the shift away from an in-person tasting due to COVID, I mean, gosh, you guys have gone through a lot um, in the past year as as we all have. And congrats on rolling into season 11 of, of the Good Food Awards. Thank you. We're so excited um, that we are going to have an in-person ceremony this year. Oh my God. In San Francisco? 
You bet. Okay, great. I'm like, RSVP me. Yes, I will. I will be there. Oh, gosh, that's going to be a fun one. Um, so before we talk about some of the changes that you guys have put in place and, you know, the shifts with the Good Food Awards, I want our listeners to know a little bit more about your background, Sarah, because I, I feel like so, so many of our listeners know about the awards themselves, but they haven't quite heard the backstory or at least not from you. So, so let's start gonna say let's start at the beginning but that's that's a while ago but let's start let's start a I don't know uh over a decade back when you were one of the first Americans working at the slow food international office in Italy right and you that's where you were like became immersed in this food movement and then you moved to California to become Alice Waters Girl Friday, and I say that in quotes for those who are listening to the recording. Um, that's what Alice calls you, right? Yeah. <laughs> you, did, you did that for two years, and then what happens? What happens like when Alice lets you go? <laughs> or sorry, not in like a firing way, but like lets you lets you blossom. What happened? What happened next? So um, after working with Alice, which was the most kind of amazing, influential experience, um, you know, she had this idea when we were on a uh, work trip in France at a slow food event. And it was kind of similar to an Italian slow food event called uh, Salone del Gusto. It was just the French version, like more cheeses, more foie gras. Um, and so Sounds she delicious. Said, yeah, it, it was. Yeah. Uh, those workshops with Alice weren't uh, too shabby. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yes. Uh, I can only imagine. Okay, so here you are in France with here Alice. In France, and she says, you know, why do people always have to reinvent the wheel? This works so well to take a concept that worked in Italy um, and adapt it. Uh, to a new country, to a new culture. Um, so that was the seed of the idea for Slow Food Nation in 2008. And I left her office to start Slow Food Nation. Um, I had the great um, pleasure of working especially with the food crafters um, in my role there. Um, and, and for those who aren't familiar with it, it's the largest sustainable food event that's ever happened in America. It was beautiful. We transformed, you know, outside City Hall in San Francisco into an organic garden and food crafters from all over the country were there in these beautiful pavilions at Fort Mason Center. Um, so when that came to a conclusion, you know, we had a postmortem with these amazing leaders in, you know, jam and coffee and pickles um, who had helped bring it to life. And they said, you know, we, the coffee roasters never really interact with the chocolate makers or like we, the jam makers don't really get together with the cheese makers, even though there's so much to learn from each other. And they felt, you know, so much, um, you know, they're so generous with their time. And they said they'd love to do something again that brought together the different kinds of food crafters. So that was in my mind when I um, took a mini quarter quarter life sabbatical, I guess, uh, to to England. (laughs) I ran away to England. Um, Got drafted into, um, thanks to Alice and one of her contacts, got drafted into organizing their biggest organic food festival uh, at the Soil Association. Mm -hmm. Um, But in the meantime, I was living in London. I met um, the owner of this beautiful little grocery store called Melrose and Morgan. And when I was visiting and talking with him one day, I, I saw on his shelf, there was this jar of jam and it had this sticker on it and it said, great taste award winner. Mm. And he saw that I was looking at it and he said, oh yeah, if it has that sticker, it flies off the shelf. And I thought to myself like, oh yeah, like people love the best of the best. They want to know. So I was like, can we bring together these food crafters and this idea of the best of the best and use that interest people have towards good, towards directing consumer dollars to small businesses who care about their community, who care about the environment. Um, And that was the seed for the Good Food Awards. Mm. Sarah, I don't know if I've ever heard that piece of Alice saying, you know, why reinvent the wheel? I don't think I've ever heard that piece of the story. And, and I love how it connects here where you, you saw this sticker on the shelf in England. And I'm sure there was some tiny piece in your mind that was like, why reinvent the wheel? This little sticker is so powerful. Like we can, we can recreate that in the United States. I never made that connection. And I love that you just pointed that out. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I love You know, I love that Alice is so practical and everyone, you know, rightly so sees her as this innovator and pioneer, which she is. 
but she also doesn't have to take credit for the things like she mm. doesn't it doesn't have to be a totally new idea that no one's ever heard about before it just has mm. to be a good idea and let's bring the right people together to to build it out and yeah. readapt it yeah 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 uh I like that. I like that I could make that connection for you. Sometimes it takes other people hearing our stories to 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 bring that together. So there you are and you're you're young, right? You like you get over your quarter life crisis, you come back to come back to California, right? Yes. And is that when you launched the Good Food Foundation? Yes, and I okay. um must say it was not my idea to start a nonprofit to mm. do this stuff. It was this amazing man who's the co-creator of the foundation named Dominic Phillips, who had been part of the, from the events perspective of Slow Food Nation. And he mm. felt transformed by the community he met. And he said, I have these $50,000 that I want to put towards something good. Let's just do this together. And it was like a loan, no terms, no paper. Oh we paid God. it back. But it's just amazing that there are people out there and that the um, passion and the authenticity and the just beauty of, of the sustainable food world and like these people that we work with um, creates that kind of um, action in people. Yeah. And think about how, f- we'll talk a little bit more about this, but think about how far that $50,000 has gone. Yeah. Right. And he, really I mean, far. <laughs> he probably had a hunch, right? Like he, he, he was able to connect those dots and it was a smart investment on, on his part, but you know, for him to recognize that $50,000, you know, could transform so many businesses is, I mean, that's, I love that. That's giving me goosebumps. <laughs> Yay. Yeah. So for those who don't know what the Good Food Awards is at all, can you give us the one-liner? Like, sure. what, what is it? <laughs> what, or what's, I guess let's backtrack. What's the foundation? Uh-huh. What's a Good Food Foundation? And what part does the Good Food Awards play in it? Absolutely. So the Good Food Foundation, we're a California-based 501c3. Um, we're all about identifying the sort of under-supported and under-recognized players in the food system that are making huge impact that can be levers towards building the the food system and the world we want, but who don't already have a lot of organizations, a lot of support, a lot of connectivity, um, boosting them up and helping them. So, you know, we don't focus on chefs who have amazing organizations and, and have raise their voices so effectively kind of in this world towards important causes. Um, But the first group we did focus on is food crafters, the jam makers, the brewers, the picklers. Yes, my people. (laughs) Yay. And when we started and kind of we're looking into it, um, we learned that the food crafters together, it's like a $200 billion a year industry when you add cheese and beer and pickles. And I mean, the beer is larger than pickles, but yes. more than double the size of the beef industry, for wow. example, which is like 90 billion a year. Wow. It's triple the size of the pork industry, which is like 60 billion. So it's mm-hmm. like this huge economic lever that we can move, um, you know, buying directly from farmers, connected directly to consumers that um, has become, and I think is, is just continuing the momentum towards um, changing the world. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so the foundation was started on this this idea, right? That we've got this huge industry that needs, specifically with packaged products, right? That needs some support because they're already, I mean, we love the chefs and we love the restaurateurs and, you know, there, there are many aspects of the food industry who we love and respect as well. But I, I love, Sarah, that you identified the crafters were the ones who, who needed the most support 11 years ago. Yes. Um, And so the Good Food Awards is the first project that we launched um, to support them. Um, And to this day, it's the project we're most well known for. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would say it's like the way we've created a community um, and everything else we do relies on the fact Mm -hmm. that we put so much energy and kind of um, love in a way into making sure every year it's we're reaching people in all 50 states, like new makers, you know, uh, transform makers. Like we literally make probably 3,000 phone calls from our office each year directly to food crafters. <laughs> and let's let's be clear, your office is like 
10 by 10 and it's like a team of a half a dozen people, right? So that's Correct. a lot of phone calls. <laughs> a lot of phone calls. God bless our team, our summer interns, and yes. they're so cheerful. Um, <laughs> but yes, yeah, so the Good Food Awards, um, it was our way to do something. You know, what we realized is that there were um, certifications out there that recognize mm-hmm. sustainable production or, um, you know, woman-led, like community-enhancing characteristics, you know, Rainforest Alliance certified. And then there were, you know, other um, organizations recognizing taste or, you know, your local, sure. you, you know, that. But there was nothing that was tipping the consumer off to the intersection of those two. Mm. And that if you buy a Rainforest Alliance certified bar of chocolate and it tastes like crap, you're probably not going to keep buying Rainforest Alliance certified things because, yes. <laughs> um, you know, you buy food because you're eat, you know, to for enjoyment as well as to change the world. So we're yes. like, consumers will want, do want to put their dollars towards their values, but they need to know where to do that, that they're going to, yeah. yeah. It has to be tasty. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, Sarah, like (laughs) you're so spot on there that, you know, we want to shop with our dollars, but if it's not an enjoyable experience, it's going to be a one-time purchase. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to create this seal, the Blue Good Food Award winner seal with the hopes that every consumer who has an experience with like Good Food Award winning cheese, they make the connection with that seal. They're looking at a shelf of beer and they see one with the blue seal. They're going to be more inclined to try that one. Yes. Kind of everyone's helping each other, even like inadvertently to to Mm -hmm. build up each other's businesses. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So um, Sarah, my mother-in-law and father-in-law live in Boston and, you know, I'm in San Francisco and my mother-in-law will literally cut out pictures from the Boston Globe where they highlight Good Food Award winners, like with the little seal, or she'll be like in the grocery store in Brookline and like take a picture of a product on the shelf with a Good Food Award seal. And she'll be like, hey, look what I spotted in Boston. <laughs> and for 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 the Good Food Awards, just to have that reach, right? Where, you know, I can be across the country from someone and it is so recognizable um, that, you know, on a busy, busy, you know, grocery shelf, my mother-in-law takes the time to like take a picture. It just really speaks to the, um, you know, the breadth of your impact here. I love it. That warms my heart. And I thought my mom was the only one who did that. So no, no, Carol does it as well. Oh. Uh, yeah, it's really sweet. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure she's also got her eyes out because I'm her her daughter-in-law, but it's it's really, really sweet. Um, and it's true. The Good Food Awards has had an enormous impact, uh, which we'll talk about in a second. Okay, so you've got the awards. Before we like really dive into the awards, is there anything else in the foundation you want to highlight? Absolutely. So um, there are three other programs that uh, may be of interest to the your audience. The uh, <laughs> um, after the awards, we launched something something called the Good Food Mercantile. Mm. Um, our tagline is the untrade show for tasty, authentic, responsible food. Mm. The idea is like it is a trade show, but it's like intimate and smaller in scale and size. Um, and we've taken out all the unpleasant things about trade show and it's trade shows and added in things like natural light. Oh, yes. Bless you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the really lovely part about it is that um, since everyone showing has to meet the same criteria as good food award winners, mm-hmm. it's really um, self-selective in terms of like really the quality and the values of the makers, which also really attracts the retailers who are looking for that, who are ready to spend more time educating their um, customers. Yeah. And it, yeah. everyone's very open, I think, in a way that it, uh, at other trade shows, they're not quite as you know open to conversation and connecting right away because they know there's... Um, good potential. Um, totally. Totally. Well, Sarah, I even remember as a, as a buyer, I would go to some of the bigger trade shows and all of a sudden you like turn the corner and you're in like the jelly bean aisle that is like rows and rows of conventional candy that I would have never stocked on my shelf. And yet I've got to like navigate through those aisles just to find like potentially like the one 
confectioner and like with whom I, I really <laughs> like connect. Um, and so I, I don't, the mercantile was not around when I was a buyer that, that happened after I left, but I know, I mean, obviously we can, we can say this on the air, like buy right is still such a, such a fan of the mercantile and, you know, it just, to your point, it really attracts the right people. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and for, for these producers, it's so important to spend their marketing dollars wisely and to invest in something that will have a return on investment, like a trade show with the right people an untrade show with the right people. <laughs> I love that you said that. And we also really designed it to be um, appropriate to small and mid-sized businesses. So the cost for a booth is a quarter the cost of a larger yeah. trade show. Yeah. Um, and I love that you mentioned Byright, your, yeah. your alma mater and <laughs> our, you know, Sam Mulganum and the whole team at Byright has been so critical in mm. the progress of the Good Food Foundation, the growth of it, and the launching of another one of our projects, which I'll share called the Good yeah. Food um, Alliance. Okay. So that's a group of 30 of the top independently owned grocers all across the country, including Byright as a founding member. Also folks like Zingerman's, Bruno Brothers, Glen's Garden Market, Cured and Boulder, um, Market Hall Foods, just mm. amazing grocers all across the country. Um, and they, uh, you know, they're they're part of it because they believe in the American food crafters. They want to support American food crafters. They show up to everything we do. Um, and we also help them help each other because um, just like it can be lonely if you're like a sustainable organic pickle maker and like Waco, Texas. I don't know. You yeah, know, yeah. Like find others who encounter the same sourcing or whatever kind of challenges you're having. I think an amazing retailer who's really doing it um, grounded in integrity and community um, they can be, you know, they're increasingly more and more, but few and far between. And so we have the group for them to kind of connect with each other. Yeah. And then our fourth interesting project of interest would be the good food guild, uh, which is basically like a, um, trade association essentially for tasty, authentic and responsible businesses. Mm -hmm. Everyone has to meet those criteria we talked about. And, um, we have about 500 members all across the country, all kinds of food crafters. Wow. That's growing. That's great. Yeah. I remember even when, when I left by right and I was doing more consulting with retail stores across, across the country, when, when we would talk through their assortment goals and really get aligned in, in how they wanted to source their products. One of the very first things I did was go to the guild list. Cause I was like, okay, like here we go. Let's narrow things down a bit and let's find the crafters who share our values and share, uh, frankly, share our like sourcing requirements. All we would have to do is go to your website and literally like pull up a list of, of products to source from. So I see the value on both sides from the producer and the retailer. I love that you say that because that's what we hope people use with the list that's sort of on the website, but you just don't know unless you hear. And so yeah. that makes me feel great that like the value is there for the food crafters, even just to be part of the guild. Yeah, absolutely. And even just to like, to, to connect, right. To connect with one another, to, to realize that there is, you know, there's the community there, there's the resources there. It's, it's really, it's important. So you've got this, this big system <laughs> and we're here to talk about the, the Good Food Awards in particular. So Sarah, I'm going off script. We didn't really talk about this, but I think it is uh, valuable for me to say one of the reasons why I am so passionate about the Good Food Awards is because I worked with you guys for a very long time. Um, and it, well, one, it um, it it really allows me to speak about the Good Food Awards in a, in a way that um, I wouldn't obviously otherwise be able to because I, I've seen it from behind the scenes. And also it gives me such confidence in, in sharing your message because I, I saw it from the other side and, and know that you guys are um, transparent through and through. You know, it, it's hard to find organizations who stand up for their values and and really act with integrity. And I just love that I, I saw it firsthand, um, Sarah. So I'm, I'm delighted to, I'm delighted to have this conversation and continue to spread the word of the, the Good Food Foundation because it, it, it is so near and dear to my heart. All right, let's talk about who is eligible for these awards. 
and and what sort of categories you guys have uh, in year eleven. So who who can who can apply? <laughs> well, great question. So value added foods. We have eighteen different categories, which is crazy because we started with seven and are adding one every year. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I am just like taking a big sigh because one of I mean you know this era, but one of my roles at the Good Food Awards was helping coordinate the blind tasting, and with every category that gets added. So does the complexity in <laughs> in the blind tasting. So um, 18 categories, that's a lot. 18 categories. Um, it's everything from cheese, pickles, coffee, spirits, beer, cider. Uh, Charcuterie. Pantry. Pantry, your special favorite. My special favorite. <laughs> I Yeah, I, I founded the pantry category. Gosh, I mean... It, it's probably five years ago at this point uh, with my dear friend Gitika from La Cocina. And we just, I think that first year we had like 300 entries in pe- pantry category. And it <laughs> it proved to us that the pantry people were ready to come out in full force here. Um, pantry, snacks, cheese, um, gosh, I mean, elixirs. I mean, yeah. I'm sure with 18, we're forgetting one of them, but all of them are on your website, obviously. And um, so 18 categories. 18 categories. Everything, anyone who enters needs to be shelf ready by January. So you can enter even if you're kind of, your packaging isn't quite ready yet. Mm. Um, June is the entry month. So you have to be ready to kind of say online a little bit about yourself, but you don't ship your product till August. Mm-hmm. Um, and the winners are announced in January. Yep. Um, what else? Uh, very importantly, you know, as we mentioned in the beginning, we're all about um, supporting uh, food producers who are helping to make the world a better place. Um, and we talk about kind of tasty, authentic, and responsible. So the tasty mm-hmm. will, the blunt, the 200 judges will just, figure that out. Um, authentic. Um, we talk about being connected to, um, a cultural tradition, being connected to your passions, um, and responsible production. We talk about both in terms of environmental responsibility. Um, and there's detailed sort of, we try to keep them simple, uh, but there's detailed criteria for each category that differs a little bit about that. Um, talking about things like local ingredients where that's possible, um, eliminating pesticides or, you know, synthetic inputs, um, that harm the earth. Um, no genetically modified ingredients are allowed across the board in any category. Uh, there are no artificial ingredients. Um, also things like whey recycling for, you know, cheese makers, a water reduction for brewers. Um, there's a whole, you know, span of kind of different criteria that we develop really with industry leaders in each category mm. um, and evolve each year, uh, which is kind of um, challenging, but really fun and meaningful, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Because the criteria changes over time as well. Right. And if you had put a stake in the ground 11 years ago and you said, this is how we judge this category, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be relevant anymore. <laughs> you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be, um, you wouldn't be respected in the industry. And I think one of the things that I admire about the Good Food Awards is that industry influence where it is you're pulling in this team um, from who are experts in that specific category to help you figure out how to judge and evaluate the, pro- the products. So it's not just you, Sarah, saying, <laughs> let me tell you how to judge honey. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think that was like a, a critical foundation of everything with the Good Food Awards, which is was like understanding what we do know and what we don't know. And when it comes to like beekeeping, what we know is basically nothing. Like yeah. we, know, <laughs> we know some beekeepers, um, right. but like being ready to um, open up the pieces that we've created to build, to bring in the knowledge that others have that is so deep. Um, and I think that's what um, makes the Good Food Awards relevant and meaningful to people in the industry and like, you know, 
honestly to, to anyone. Cause if we were just like, we think the bees have to be treated this way. It's right. like, okay, random person who's never yeah. been a beaver. Yeah. Yeah. And Sarah, I remember when I worked with you guys, we were called out a few times from industry leaders saying like, Hey, I actually think you aren't taking into account X, Y, Z. Like, would you consider this? Like, would you change this? And, um, you know, while certainly like it, it, can take a little bit to make changes. And especially when you've got like uh, a big process in place, I, I respect that you evaluate it, it each year. So when people do express their concerns, they're, they're taken into consideration. Yeah, we absolutely welcome that because it's also the case that our experts, you know, maybe tend to be more West coast centric. Mm. And mm. the reality of cheese making in the South could be really and is really different from what's yeah. available on the West Coast yeah. um, to what, you know, is uh, advisable in some cases mm. around animal husbandry, um, mm. you know, when it's really hot and humid versus other climates. Ah, yeah. So we learn every year from people who say like, mm, that criteria didn't make sense. Like we are doing things as sustainably as possible in Montana and here's why. And Oftentimes we don't change, we're not able to change it that very year because we want to be very um, fair, but we'll come back and talk to them and the next year it might be different. Yeah. And above all, you're, you're facilitating a conversation around it, right? Yeah. But like for people to have their voices heard is, is so important. Um, Mm -hmm. hmm, Interesting. Okay. I've got, uh, I've got one question here too. So I know over the past I don't know, 18 months, year, you've added in this criteria for responsible um, with an acknowledgement of a history or influence where it's culturally, a culturally specific food. And then you added in, um, you know, I'm not sure if it's requirements, but like curiosity around DEI training for leadership or team members. And I, I love that you added those two pieces that feel so relevant for 2021. Oh, thank you. Well, you know, like many organizations, we're realizing where we can do a lot more and take more responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're hoping to use the position we have in the community um, to help move everyone with us, along with us as we learn um, in that direction. And, you know, we do want to take it like one step at a time. So, mm-hmm. you know, this year, like you said, we require that entrance someone on your team gets a DEI training, diversity Mm. inclusion training. And if you don't have it by the time you enter, like we'll give you the opportunity and send you some resources of great ones that you can do, you know, in the months before the award. And if you commit to doing that, great. And like, it's, you know, it's a journey for all of us. And I think Mm. um, it's exciting to be learning about it and to be um, together with others and taking those steps. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm so glad to hear. I'm so glad I asked you about that. I saw it like as a little note here, uh, as we brainstormed and I'm, I'm really happy to hear that, that you guys added that in. Okay. So speaking of adding things, tell me what category you added this year. Oh, it's a great new, exciting one. Um, drinks. (laughs) Yes. What kind of drinks, what kind of drinks? (laughs) So it's going to be everything from, you know, nut and grain milks um, to kvass and kombuchas Mm. um, to hot chocolates, cold brew, you know, coffees and coffee drinks. Oh, my gosh. uh, CBD adaptogen drinks, sparkling drinks, juices. Oh, my God. These people, these judges are going to be so hydrated at the end, at the end of their tasting. Um, that's exciting. Cause I know even a few years ago, we were playing around with the idea of drinks and I love that it like has finally come to fruition. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, what we hear from people like experts like you is that, um, it's a category that's taking up more space on retail shelves mm. and we want to help direct people towards, um, amazing businesses, making the world better when they do spend their dollars that way. Yeah. Oh, I love it. And so for someone listening, who's like, okay, great. You've got 18 categories and (laughs) you still don't have a category for me. (laughs) Uh, What would you say to that, Sarah? Cause I'm sure you get it all the time. I'd say uh, two things. Like, first of all, thank you for wanting a category and wanting to be part of it. Let us know. Um, We do keep a little tally in the office. Um, Ice cream has a lot of 
Mm. Um. <laughs> I bet. And, and I'll just say to the ice cream makers out there, <laughs> I say this in the nicest way, but you try to facilitate <laughs> a, a blind tasting, having ice cream shipped around the country, arriving on the same day in San Francisco in August. <laughs> Right. I'll say that. Yeah. <laughs> so you don't have to, Sarah. <laughs> um, but then two other things for those folks. Um, one is if you're super passionate about it, tell us you want it and you're willing to help us lead and launch the category. Um, figure out how to taste it right, etc. And then the third thing is join the guild, be part of the mercantile, like get involved, see what it's all about, show us the love from like the ice cream folks, or show us the love from this. And you know, as those um as that community builds within our programming as a whole, it, you know, that helps us understand that there's a critical mass. Um, totally. I think of um, Michelle Pusateri of Nana Joe's Granola, and she was just like showing up at the, at the trade shows, like joining the guild, doing all of the things. And she had no category, right? Yeah. So yeah. she makes granola and granola bars and some like nuts, spice nuts and things like that. And, and yet she still was so involved. And then sure enough, you guys launched snack category and like, lo and behold, she wins. I don't know. in year one, maybe. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's a great point. Get involved and maybe you too can create your own, your own category. Okay. Let's talk about how the blind tasting works. Cause I think that, I think there's a little bit of mystery behind it for people. Yeah. Oh, well, you, you're, you're, you, you know, the ins and outs, but let, I'll, I'll give that outline. So <laughs> We bring together, in a normal year, we bring together 200 to 250 people, um, generally from all across the country, sometimes the world. We've had, you know, amazing woman from Japan, Patrick Holden from the Soil Association in England has come, um, and she's maker there. Um, but we are recruiting people who um, fall into kind of three different categories. One, they're like deep, deep experts, like the best coffee taster, you know, winning world winning baristas um, and roasters. Um, two, there may be a generalist. So you're an amazing chef. You might not have a degree in olive oil. You know, you might not be a certified taster, but you're using that product. You have a mm. sense of it. Um and, you know, you might be a food writer, retailer, um, chef. Um, and the third one is that we want to um, also have this feeling that there are citizen tasters. Um, because at the end of the day, one of the things that distinguishes the Good Food Awards for certain categories that, like beer, that do have their own um, really supportive and amazing industry events and awards is that um, we want things to win that the public's going to love. Right. So, yes. <laughs> yes. It doesn't have to be like the most perfect execution of a Saison, but it should be a beer that people are going to go crazy for when they taste yeah. it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And our citizen tasters are not like, oh, let's get my roommate to do it. But they're more like, oh, you work for the, you know, this amazing food bank or you're part of the food movement in another way. Um, and uh, we want to include and create community through this tasting. Yeah. I think the citizen taster piece is so important when, when your award is focused equally on sustainability and tastiness, right? Cause to your point, if, you know, if those expert coffee roasters all love the Ethiopian and Kenyan coffees, which naturally they might, they do. <laughs> right. And then all of the, all of those African coffees win good food awards. And that I'll just say Ian's mom in Boston goes and buys one of those coffees. It might not be to her palate, right? Mm -hmm. So we got to make sure that some of our like Central and South American coffees are winning as well. And that's where the citizen taster potentially helps um, sway the judging a bit. Absolutely. And then each judge is in like one of the 18 categories. So you're tasting the same thing all day long. Um, we've tried to hone in on what's the palate fatigue amount of mm. tasting that can happen in a day. And we've, um, you know, refined that over the years. So most people are tasting 18 to 50 things, depending on the category. Um, we generally in the morning have like a little pod of three judges together process of elimination. Um, you know, what was the best of those 10? What's the best of the next 10? And then in the afternoon, it's bigger groups that are actually doing a scored tasting. Mm. Um, and yeah, so. And Sarah, less. everything, every, I want to highlight that everything's done as a blind tasting. So yeah. when you said that products don't need to be shelf ready, 
um, when they apply in June and then send product in August, they're sending their product in, you know, maybe a Ziploc bag or like a mason jar or something that doesn't have to be that shelf ready labeled product because we don't want the judges to know what brand the product is anyways. Exactly. It's all anonymized. Um, so they never see it. And that kind of makes it fun when the awards come about, because some of them are super slick and some of them are like, wow, this is like a grandma, you know, cottage industry thing. And it's amazing tasting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So I alluded to this at the beginning, but Last year you shifted and obviously in September, 2020, you did not do a 250 person blind tasting together at Fort Mason in San Francisco. So how did it shift last year and, and what are you doing this year? Yeah. So last year we felt it was really important to move forward and do the good food awards, even though, uh, it was kind of complicated because so many other awards, um, you know, weren't able to happen like American Cheese Society and other awards. And we knew that food, you know, businesses were sort of in crisis. And at the same time, there was a lot of direct to consumer sales, e-commerce happening. And we thought if we could, you know, have this moment of publicity that always happens when we announce the winners, that um, was something that makers needed more than ever. Mm-hmm. So we did some thinking, we did some rejiggering. And what we ended up doing was... Um, you know, a virtual, virtual, obviously they were tasting things for real, but a virtual mm-hmm. tasting, um, each of the 18, you know, the 17 categories at that point did meet just like we do in person Wow. over zoom in their own zoom room, the wow. committee chairs, the volunteers from the industry in charge of that tasting did give, you know, each of those, you know, let's say 20 judges, the welcome told them about it, but they had all gone the day before to pick up a box of samples which was unique to each judge, um, what they were getting. It was all very organized. And then after the introduction, they broke out into breakout rooms on Zoom. Wow. They still had their like three-person pot. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And the, rather than doing, you know, two rounds and elimination, everyone um, scored everything that they tasted Mm. and still talked Mm. it through with their peers. And we used a sort of electronic scoring method so that we got the results immediately. No one could, you know, lose the papers. (laughs) Oh my God, Sarah, that must've felt so high tech. Well, (laughs) yeah. And as you know, I'm a Luddite, so I did not come up with this solution, but uh, But that's why you have a team. team, Samantha and and Jessica and everyone. Um, So yeah, it ended up working so well that we're planning to do it again that way this year and hopefully in the future, do it in person. Oh, I love that. Oh, that makes me so happy too. Just, just knowing that, 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 the manual labor of compiling all the scores from those physical pieces of paper and like all of that, that really was one aspect of the tasting that um, was so time consuming. So I'm so happy to hear that, that you were able to use technology in that positive way there. Yes. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because it reminded me one other interesting um, silver lining that it had is that since we had all the scores um, and people were also the judges, we also asked them to make comments, you know, into the score sheet Um, already electronically, we were able to offer feedback to entrants. Oh my gosh. And we're doing it again. You know, there still is some manual work involved. So it's like a $15 extra if you want to get the feedback from the judges sure. to do yeah. product. But I think for a lot of people that can add a lot of value and be meaningful, even if you don't um, become a finalist or winner. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I feel like this is, this is a game changer. I mean, when else can you have, you know, I don't know, 20 plus people blind taste your product and give you feedback on it. Yeah. Yeah, oh, I feel like Sarah, my like my retail ready students, we we talk about like um target audience interviews and tasting panels and all of that. And it is hard to get people to subjectively taste your product. Uh to not whatever, you follow me here, to like taste your product blind and like have no relationship to you, no connection to your product, and give that feedback. That is yeah, that is so valuable. Oh, I'm so happy that you guys are offering that. Yay. Yeah. Okay, Sarah, I know we are getting to the end of our episode and I want to leave with one question, knowing that um, later this month in June, I've got an episode on what to do when you win an award. 
and how you, whether it's a good food award or some other award, like what to do when you win an award and how to use that to translate to retail sales. So like my listeners, like the connection is coming. Don't worry. So Sarah, here's my question for you. Give me like one, one line on what happens when people or like, what is the impact if someone wins a good food award? Have you seen a success story that you want to highlight? Absolutely. Um, you know, the first year we did a survey afterwards and we're like, how did, you know, did you see new sales? And one company said their sales increased 400%. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Mm-hmm. You know, that was a little bit of an outlier, but there <laughs> tend to be uh, a lot of impact. Um, yeah. The other story I, I really love, especially because y- you can um, verify it, that it's not just me making it up because he wrote about it in his cookbook, but yep. he like Cairo, the founder of Olympia Provisions, you know, the first year he won, uh, he took part in the Good Food Awards marketplace. Sam Mulganum, your old boss, our, our friend um, of Byright Market, came by and said, mm, this is really great charcuterie. Do you sell out of state? And he said, yeah, of course. Um, he d- he didn't know, didn't do that and didn't know how. But he was- <laughs> He's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, like crossing his fingers under the table. Like, I'm going to figure this out later. <laughs> <laughs> but that was his first out of state sales. And he went from like a 700 square foot kitchen, you know, that first year when he won to now um, 10 years later. And you know, it was just to him. And now he He's got 85 employees or more making salami, 30,000 square feet, you know, sold in all 50 states. And um, yeah, so I like to take all the credit for his <laughs> I hope every time he comes to San Francisco, he brings you. Well, I guess you're in Portland now, right? Are you still yeah. spending time in Portland? Okay, so you can go and get salami anytime you want. <laughs> I uh, very much enjoy that about Portland. <laughs> yes, absolutely. That's a great, that's a great story, Sarah. And I, on, on my podcast in a couple of weeks, I'll share some more examples from retail ready students and and past clients of mine. I've just seen time and time again, the, the value of winning awards and um, having the public verify that your product is just as good as you, the founder thinks it is, you know, that, that is important. So Sarah, where can people apply for the Good Food Awards? Um, They can apply at goodfoodfdn.org. So online in the month of June, all month long, but do it early because Allie's going to share a special code. Um, Yes. Yes. Our interns don't have to make quite as many phone calls. Um, (laughs) um, But I do want to say one other thing about winning the award because I think it kind of shocked me um, and delights me that as much as people say the impact on their business was sales, they equally say it was amazing to meet the, you know, others who um, they have so much in common with mm. in terms of values and passions and all sorts of weird and fun collaborations have just like come organically out of these amazing people all coming together for a weekend. Like, um, like can I ask like what sort of, collaboration. Yeah. So like, here's a funny story. So one year we had Zika Manuel, the, the, the celebrated Dr. Obama, you know, advisor, um, as our MC, he's also very into organic food and Sean Oskinozzi of Oskinozzi chocolate, um, was the chocolate, one of the chocolate winners. And they met, he was speaking and Zeke loves chocolate. So Zeke ended up going to Missouri to learn to make chocolate with Sean Ostinozzi. They made a collaboration <laughs> bar, like a limited edition bar. Zeke started fundraising for um, Sean's Chocolate Academy, which takes like inner city kids in St. Louis and brings them to Africa on sourcing trips and like teaches them these skills. Oh, like, 10 years later, they're like still talking regularly. Oh my God. <laughs> I know, like amazing. And I mean, there are other wonderful stories, um, you know, of, for example, Smoking Goose and Lady Edison, um, they mm-hmm. created some product together. Um, so like, and I, and I don't remember, you know, I'm going to have to look it up after this, but, um, and they're not the only ones like Martin's yeah. pretzels connected with the mustard maker. Yes. Yes. I remember this. Yes. Yeah. Uh, maybe it was wilder mustard. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. They made a so many, yeah. It's just so, there's something so powerful about being in this space with people who share the same values. Yes. Yes. Mm. And you need, oh my God, I'm so excited. (laughs) I like, I love talking to you, Sarah, because it like, it just makes me, um, you know, so, so energized about our, our wonderful food system. 
here yeah. or our change our, our shifting food system. I'll say that. Oh, I feel the same. You make me excited. You get me all. Yeah. 12 years I later. Yeah. <laughs> it's nice to find people who do that. Right. Cause like you and I both like we've, we've been in our industry for a long time. So it is so, I find it so um, important to like keep connecting. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. On that note, Sarah, I'm going to wrap it up, even though you and I could talk for another hour about the good, the good food awards and maybe we will in person at your award ceremony next January. It'll, it'll be in January, January in San Francisco. Mm. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for being on here. I'm going to put our, so you guys have generously given us a 10% off any listeners first entry this year. It's a code food I'm going to put that here in our show notes. So if you guys do apply for the good food awards, please use that code. You'll get 10% off your first entry. Sarah, thank you for sharing that with us. And Sarah, thanks for coming on the podcast. It was so fun having you here. Thank you so much. Of course. Okay. So my listeners, thank you also for joining us today. So again, if you apply for a good food award this year, let me know. I would love to follow along. I'd love to cheer you on and I would love to celebrate with you as listeners, fingers crossed, are awarded as finalists and winners throughout this next award season. So don't forget to use our promo code. It's foodbizwiz for 10% off your first entry this year. So from here, you guys, I hope to see some of you in brand camp next week, starting on Monday, June 7th. Enrollment is free and it's open. It's open now. You can find the link also in the show notes or directly at takebrandcamp.com. So I will see you soon in camp. I am rooting for you with the Good Food Awards and I'll see you right back here next week. Have a good one. Bye. It was so fun listening to how the Good Food Awards supports brands making delicious, responsible products. Just like Ali, I'm feeling so excited about all the work they do to uplift fantastic makers in our industry. This episode was originally recorded in 2021. At the end of the episode, Ali mentions a discount code, but be sure to check out our full show notes for an updated $10 off discount code that first-time entrants can use for the application fee this year in 2023. We'll also link up the Good Food Awards site, application, and the other episode Ali mentioned on what to do if you do win an award for your product. Their next mercantile is on June 24th in New York City, so head to their website to check out all the most up-to-date information. Let us know if you'll be applying to the Good Food Awards by connecting with us on Instagram, LinkedIn, or in the Food BizWiz Facebook group, all linked in the show notes, as usual. All right, Wizzes, get those applications in before that June 30th deadline. We'll see you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to Food Biz Wiz. If you're enjoying this podcast and the tools it gives you for growing your packaged product business, please subscribe so you never miss an episode. From one small business owner to another, I am deeply grateful for your support of this podcast, and I appreciate it when you share it with your fellow food founders, share it on social media, or leave me a review on your listening platform. Ready for more? Find out how we can work together at foodbizwiz.com. I'll see you right back here next week.